In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' recent play, where that leaves them in a race for the top seed in the Eastern Conference with six games remaining and what to look for down the stretch. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat where you can get a discount on a yearly subscription and we get credit for sending you. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Here to talk to you about your 45 and 21 Philadelphia 76ers who are in firm control of the first spot in the Eastern Conference. How you doing, Rich? I'm okay, man. You know, it's uh I haven't watched a real basketball game in like No, it's been it's been a minute. 3 weeks? Minute. I don't know. The last ones that the Sixers I think the the regular season, the regular part of the regular season ended when Joel Embiid threw that basketball 75 feet and it didn't go in. And yeah. I haven't seen a real game after that. Phoenix was the last real game because you had that game, uh, the first one against the the Bucks, where they were on that back-to-back without Ben Simmons. And the next game, they're without Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And now they've ripped off six straight games against Garbanzo Beans competition who have been without most of their key players. Man, um, that's, I mean, that's almost that, being kind of garbanzo that's, beans. It honestly, is. like, I, I, I call them, um, you know, this is not much less playoff competition. This is not NBA competition <laughs> anymore. Um, and I don't even mean that, like, derogatory. And look, some of them, the Thunder and the uh, Rockets were, I mean, look, could, could Kentucky beat them? I don't know. Uh, but they were borderline NBA competition anyway. And then you look at who the Rockets aren't playing with, it's like, oh my God. Like, they had legitimately technically eight players they didn't want to play dj augustine because it would have been his first game back in like a month or something like that a month and a half i don't even remember so they had seven available players then kevin porter jr went down really dropped a six um i made a joke at one point they brought their entire bench off the bench at one time it was one player that was not a game that was i mean look if they didn't win that game by 20 and they won it by exactly 20 they could have won it by 40 if they really wanted to but that was not ever going to be a competitive game of basketball so, it's it's been a minute, Rich. I we have not, and that's why we talked about that being a lo- lost opportunity back in that two and two stretch against the Warriors and the Suns, um, and then two against the the Bucks. Um, that four game stretch, I mean, it was a lost opportunity because that was really your last time to see them go up against playoff caliber competition. Uh, it's been a, it's been tough, and now they've got you know it was re- realistically. So it's funny. It was a lost opportunity in that way that they they're not going to play any more good competition. It was not as much of a lost opportunity when it comes to the one seed, though, because that looks no. like that should be very doable, in part because they are playing all of these crappy teams. Yeah. Not in part, After, be- because they are playing all of these crappy yeah, teams. Yeah, a big part. Um, so they have reeled off six straight. Uh, none of them, well, some of them have been kind of close. The Spurs game was oddly close. Um, the Bulls game, I think you expected it to be more of a blowout. But by and large, these have been 20-plus point wins, and that has vaulted them Two games up on the uh, Brooklyn Nets, uh, and they have the tiebreaker, so it's effectively three. And then three games up on the Milwaukee Bucks, their magic number to clinch the one seed for both of those teams. So magic number, we're talking any combination of Sixers wins or Milwaukee or or Brooklyn losses, not combined because you have to eliminate each team, but wins or losses, combination of four with six games left. They would have to completely, I mean, look, going four and two would be a... Um, a, f- a failure just straight up here in their, their remaining games. 
Um, what do they have? Six games or six games left? Six games left. Yeah, right. Four uh, so going four at and, home and two on the road. Going four and two is sort of like the low bar. And even if they only hit that low bar, or even if they go less than that, even if they go three and three, the other team's got to run need, the table. Yeah. You still need Brooklyn to run the table. Uh, and Brooklyn has a, a semi tough schedule coming here down the stretch. Milwaukee, too. Milwaukee has shitted away a few games uh, that you don't expect them to. Almost shit one away against the still red hot. Uh, Washington Wizards last night could in be, a could in be an your first round opponent finish. by the way. It could be. It could be. Um they're playing decent basketball right now. I still don't believe in them, but that was a uh, that was a real good performance last night. Bradley Beal is is amazing and he will light Danny Green up. I don't know why it'll be Danny Green, but we know it'll be Danny Green for some weird reason, <laughs> at least for the first 3 quarters. Anyway, um so yeah, it's sort of a god. Real, real quick. Those Brooklyn Milwaukee games those were awesome. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm overrating them because we're watching the Sixers play all of these bad teams right now. But, you know, and of course, Harden was not playing in those games. But to see everybody else play and those teams both try and Milwaukee to win both of them, good result for the Sixers. Um, it really did hammer home the point to just play one of those teams potentially and to play them after what would be a war of a series and to play them at home is, I mean, it's huge. It's like, I I don't think there's usually in the NBA, the seating is a little bit overrated. We have seen teams in the past when I guess divisional winners have moved up. Like I remember the the Clippers and the, the Mavericks tanking away from the Spurs like 15 years ago, that type of thing. I'm sure there are other examples, Um, but this is huge. And uh, those were fun games. Drew Holiday is a monster. It's it's so funny that it comes back to Drew after after the process. And watching him guard Kyrie Irving, I remember him doing that back in Philadelphia in 2012, 13, like that lost season. His ability to move his feet is incredible. And that's just, I mean, it's an insane. I think that has a chance to be an insanely high level series, especially if Harden comes back. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, as, as much as, we are um, bemoaning the lack of competition that is going on here right now. The the results are ultimately what is most important when you watch that, I think. Yeah. And look, I, as a fan, I get like me and you are complaining about the schedule. And I do think there's something to like the fact that, well, they haven't played a high leverage game in three weeks by the time the playoff or a month, month and a half. I don't even know what it'll be by the time the playoffs start. I think that's not optimal in terms of a preparedness standpoint. But what is extremely optimal, as you just laid out, is getting that one seed. This puts them in a great chance to do that. And as a fan, you get to watch your team win. And it's not quite as stressful as it sometimes is. So if you, if, if for you, this is great, I fully get it. I have to analyze these games and pretend that um, I can take anything away from it. It's tough for me to even pretend that. When you're sitting there and you go, oh man, Jason Tate is out in health and safety protocols. That's a huge loss. When you say that's a huge loss... You know you're not going up against the uh, toughest competition in the world. He's he's, he's a pretty having, good player, pretty good Jay season. Shante. Yeah, he's having a pretty good season. I like him. But it, still, that being said, he should not be key to beating a title contender at you know 24 years old, no. or whatever he is. <laughs> um, they they had their fifth, sixth, and seventh guys in last night's game. The the Rockets. That was. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting stumped on who he played for uh, on that. Like I've never heard of those guys. There was one guy. <laughs> Who played for Vermont? He played in the, I think that's the America East. You know, he's playing in that 
conference championship game at 11 a.m. No offense to the America East Conference, but those guys are playing against Joel Embiid and keeping it not somewhat close, but closer maybe than I thought. Armani Brooks, uh, abbreviated as A. Brooks, you know, like Aaron Brooks is still in the fucking league. How could Aaron Brooks be in the league? There's no way that's right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, you were thinking, hey, if Varejao came back, I guess Aaron Brooks would come back. You know, that's not yeah. a, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, is 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 Varejao actually going to play? That's crazy. I don't that's know. Crazy. I saw that headline and I just didn't have the uh, the mental space to uh, to really look into that uh, that more in depth. Uh, by the way, like I, that's not. Oh, he did. He played a game. He played. He played a game already. He played seven minutes. His first NBA game since 2017. He was previously playing in Brazil. He didn't even play at all last year, from what I can tell. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, yeah I don't um, know. The uh, uh, speaking of this, we we, we got to talk about this. I just thought I saw the highlights of the Indiana game last night. Did you see that yeah. Goga Batadze? Yeah. yeah, sit the fuck down. Oh my god. Ooh. Okay, so look, <laughs> Greg Foster can be a little bit of a hothead. Um, I don't remember him screaming at people that, when he was a Sixers coach. Well, that being said, like a lot of people said his reaction was um, inappropriate. And I think after he was told to sit the fuck down, yeah. I think his reaction was probably a little bit over the top. Uh, I agree with that. But before that, and maybe I just didn't see because I wasn't watching it live. I only saw clips on, on, on the Internet. Maybe there's something that happened off camera that I didn't see. But he didn't seem like he was completely out of line with the instruction he was giving him before he was told to sit the F down. That's that that situation, and there was a report from Woj like the day before about the tensions uh, boiling up over there, and, and they're uh, obviously drastically underachieving. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Chams and and Sam Amick had something too for for us um, along those lines within their their coaching, you know, hot seat. Ran- I don't know if you want to call it rankings, but their roundup of all the coaches that are sure. on hot seat. And uh, yeah, I mean that Indiana situation is exactly why me and you would—I uh, don't know—like poo-poo some of the coaching stuff. Oh, oh that he's not communicating with the players. Wait, wasn't that Nate, Nate McMillan's fault too? I mean, at some yeah. point, yeah. This is in the same Nate Bjorkren is a great coach. I think his defensive schemes are insane, personally. But I mean, at some t- at some point, like. Nate McMillan was probably not going to make the NBA finals with that roster and he was doing a decent job with it. Um, and that team's been super banged up all year. I, I don't know. I just thought that was, that was crazy. I don't think I've seen a player say, sit the F down to a, a coach. You're averaging I mean, like sure five points a game as a second year player. Is that like, if it was like LeBron saying, sit the F down, uh, like <laughs> that wouldn't be good either. But like when you're, <laughs> You're averaging five points a game, dude. Like, I can't believe he had the confidence to uh, to do that. Um, because, look, he will probably be on that roster longer than Greg Foster will be. He makes more money than Greg Foster does. Um, but he won't make more money than his next coach. He won't have more job security than the next coach. And the next coach is going to remember that. Uh, that was maybe not the best career decision that he has ever made. Uh, but what was a good career decision is Dan Burke, yeah. who's in Indy forever. Gets out right before it blows up. Um, good good job on him, for sure. For sure. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. 
Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, all right, so takeaways from last night's game. I don't feel like talking about it, so Rich, go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was very much a, a pad your stats type of game for yeah. everybody, you know. And it's funny; I don't think Embiid has been over the last couple of weeks has been playing at the level we saw when we were chanting MVP on every. Sorry, I was banging my table there. MVP, MVP, every. Uh, <laughs> yeah, banging your table is not good when you have a mic on. No, it doesn't uh, work. Every podcast, but. <laughs> He said after the the Bulls game, was it after the Bulls or after the Spurs game? One of those two where he was admitting like, yeah, I've kind of been going through the motions the last couple of games. I am trying. My favorite thing from last night, sorry to interrupt you, but he was like, you you asked him, you're like, well, you know, what about, you know, defending five outs? He's like, well, you know, I'm better than like 90% of bigs when I defend on the perimeter. He's like, and when I try, I try. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I love the honesty. That made me laugh. Uh, and, you know, it was a continuation of what he said after, I think it was after the Bulls game, where he was like, yeah, I'm not really trying that hard in these games. I am trying to make it healthy to the finish line. And it's it's a little bit of the balance he talked about further last night where he's like, yeah, it's nice that we're playing 25 minutes a game. Like, you know, I'm out of harm's way. But once the playoffs start, I'm not playing 25 minutes a game. I mean, it would be nice if, you know, you could put the night shift in and they could, you know, take a game home in the playoffs. Like, I don't think the Sixers would uh, be opposed to that. It's not realistic to think that's going right. to happen all that much. Maybe a couple times in the first round if they play the uh, the right opponent. So it's a little bit of a uh, catch-22, I guess, you know, where you want him to sort of be ramping up. And I think as much as it would be nice to rest him in some of these games, and I expect that they will if – uh if they clinch the uh, the one seed a little earlier, you don't want to rest them too much because you're going to have a few days off after that too. No. So I, I think the Sixers are in a fairly good position where they can play him um, heavy mitts. But I, I do understand his, uh, you know, this is a guy who, who thought his season was over when he, you know, he went down in Washington a couple months ago. And he here's a guy who he's playing so well. And the one thing that could screw him up right now is an injury. So he has decided to not try quite as hard for these games. He does not need to try quite as hard for these games. And by the way, 
I started by saying, well, he hasn't been playing as good as he did. 34 and 12 which I think 25 minutes last night. I think Josh Schrager said that was a record. Uh, he looked it up, so credit to him. Um, yeah, 34 and 12 in uh, in 25 minutes. Uh, yeah, that was, that was impressive. And yeah, I, I asked him after the game, well, what happens when teams play five out against you in the playoffs? And, you know, the Sixers defense in last night's game was bad. <laughs> Yeah. They just weren't trying, which is, again, I'm not going to take anything from it, but I'm, I'm going to take that they didn't try. But I, I do think, like, against the elite teams, like, I see Brooklyn, and I think you're probably going to see a lineup with, you know, maybe, like, Blake Griffin at center, maybe Jeff Green at center, one of those two, KD at the four, after Joel roast DeAndre for a little while, and that is going to be the chess match. It's going to be... We're going to play super small, and you're probably going to get some easy buckets, but we think pulling you away from the basket is going to limit your effectiveness, your whole defense's effectiveness, because... And it it did at times yeah. last night. And look, those players you just mentioned are better than Kelly Olenek. And even so, they pulled Joel out away from the uh, from from the rim a couple times. Uh, Olenek is a decent passer, found some people on some, some pretty good cuts. You make that James Harden instead of Olenek, that becomes even tougher for sure. And like you said, the defense was awful. Um, I don't think, you know, you asked about that defending the five. out. I don't think Joe did a good job defending um, Olenek or on the perimeter last night. He certainly didn't do a good job in transition. Didn't need to because they could have turned it on whenever they wanted and won that game. But I think it is a legit concern, not that he can't per se, but that it limits his effectiveness as a team defender a little bit when he does it. Yeah. He's not like he's not like Rudy Gobert, where at times Gobert can look like a fish out of water defending on the perimeter. Joel Embiid can hang a little bit. It's that you're taking away from his his his, his greatest strength on defense. Slack notif- Slack notification pops up. That's how you know we're. Uh, I, I like when I listen to podcasts and there's a Slack notification that uh, that pops up. I'm like, that wasn't that wasn't my Slack notification, was it? I think it was mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to have that walled off. Might be. Might be. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen in the past, though, there are times the five out hurts him, right? Like the, the, Hor- yeah. the Horford series. Horford, for sure, 100%. And, and part of that was because Horford is such a good passer that when Joel rotated and opened up those passing lanes, he could take advantage of it. Um, yeah, for sure. But, you know, and it was a predictable answer that he gave me, but the the, the real answer— Yeah, he's not going to be like, oh, I, I suck at defending the perimeter. Like, please don't put me out there. Like, yeah. Yeah, and not just that. The, the other part, and I think this is right, where he says— all right, well, I'm going to roast you on the other end, and, and that's right. going to be and he did. more effective. And, I mean, that was one of those games where, you know, Houston, A, they're small, but B, they're not very good either. So that that's a tough combo where, you know, I think he finished with two assists, and uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, Wayne Knight in Space Jam. You know, I'm not big, but I'm, uh, but I'm slow, and uh, that's that's essentially what the Houston Rockets were in that game, and – you know, he was diming guys up on the opposite, on the weak side. Guys are missing. I think he had two assists, but he had a couple hockey assists. Other guys were just missing shots. Um, very in control game for Joe. So that was that was good. I guess that would be my first takeaway from the game. My second one, um, th- I mean, obviously the defense wasn't very good, but it's just like, it's so much fun watching Matisse defend for a couple minutes and, and they didn't play good team defense, but you look up and he's played like eight minutes and he has yeah five, six stocks and 
they're loud too. They're not like, uh, you know, bullshit, you know, a guy dribbled off his foot or something like that. He, uh, honestly, the play of the year that he made, and I'm not crazy about like asking players about, Hey, can you describe this great play you made or whatever? I actually, the play he made against Markkanen, obviously Laurie Markkanen's not uh it's not Kevin Durant. He's doing that against. That was insane. Like, does the the trademark rear view contest block where he completely snuffs him thinks that that it's going to be a fast break so starts running towards the other end of the court the bulls get the ball back and then he steals Markinen's pass that uh he's he's insane he's a I, I said this on twitter he's the the football version of a game wrecker if you listen to these nfl coaches they talk about a defensive end or a defensive tackle they will call them a game wrecker, the offensive coaches. He'll wreck a game now for you. He'll, he'll wreck a game. Just somebody who's getting to the quarterback at all times. That That's what Matisse is like. He just completely takes you out of your offensive rhythm. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't expect that to stop until the playoffs because these players aren't good enough to do not, yeah. to avoid him. <laughs> yeah, he is. On, a, on on poor competition or disjointed competition, maybe, maybe teams that haven't played all that much together or they're inconsistency in their lineup he uh he is a cheat code he is incredible um i think he's yeah i mean he i think he's in the like 100th percentile too on uh blocks and steals for uh for his position which is the first time that's happened in a long time um insane it is it is it is a joy watching him play defense it really is and it was interesting you um doc was asked about gambling i think i think by you again last night and he gave a little more of a lukewarm answer than I expected. Uh, he was like, yeah, well, you, you better freaking make it when you gamble. And it was like, you know, he makes it a lot, Doc. Like, this isn't like, <laughs> like he has a pretty proven track record at this point. Like, I had those concerns when he came in the league and was transferring from that that zone um, to to NBA. But I think he's he's pretty well proven that he, he can make pretty good decisions with that. And you haven't really seen teams, and maybe that's just because we were so, um, we're watching him against the schedule. But at times last year, you you saw teams take advantage of his aggressiveness. It seems like he's done a lot better of a job dialing that in and being selective on his gambles and making them at a, a much higher rate. Um, he's been he, he, he's been really good. He, he is legitimately up there with Ben and Joel. Um, and again, I will always defer. I think Joel makes more of an impact, but he's up there in that group of as a as a defender. He just needs his offensive game to warrant the playing time. He really does. He, uh, and, and he's starting to make a few more shots, shots yeah. which is nice. Um, I mean, he's going to play in the playoffs, so it's not really a question of whether he's making shots right now that he's going to get a chance. He's going to get a chance because his defense is that freaking good. Yeah, Doc, I, I just don't think he likes the word gambling. Maybe that's how that was wrong. I phrased it. But, I mean, tech, maybe gambling is the wrong word, but putting yourself in unorthodox positions to make a steal. I think that's probably the best way to put it because then doc was like, well, if you have five great defensive ga- players who are gambling, he's like, we're going to score every time against that, that team or more times than not. I'm like, I just asked about Matisse, man. Like, you know, you, you still have a bead behind him. Like, I, I think there's a level, <laughs> right. you know, I'm not saying he's Allen Iverson shooting the gap literally every single time and not making a steal a lot of the times. Too. Right. Yeah. He's a, uh, 
And by the way, if you had five Matisses, I'm, I'd like to see you try to score again. Well, maybe maybe four and Joel. Give, give me four and Joel, and let's see how that... I bet you that's a pretty good defense. I bet you that's a pretty good defense. I think that's the best defense in the league, personally. That's, yeah. That's me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what would happen on the fast breaks on the other end. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, that's a fair point. He, fair. Neither, neither team is going to score. He was talking about it a little bit before the game. He was the, the shoot-around one person they give us, and... Uh, yeah, he said that he's basically like he he sees that he is on offensive scouting reports now. Like, you better like look out for this guy. And uh, you know, players are trying to bait him, whether it's a foul or a uh, just him gambling wildly for a shot, maybe a flyby, something like that. And you know, his fouls are a tick down from last season per minute, so that's. They're about the same. I I mean, that number is never going to be zero. You, you can't make all of those crazy plays without making the uh, the occasional mistake. But, uh, yeah, he's been awesome. Um, so I guess that's another takeaway. One other one I had, I mentioned this a little bit. Uh, I forget if it was last podcast or a couple ago. Danny Green, that cut he makes on the baseline is awesome. You mean, you mean the Danny Green cut? Yeah, which I did not know was a thing. But... Uh, he, I mean, he just embarrasses people with that. Like the, I don't know why he figured it out and why more players haven't, you know, there are so many players who I feel like are three and D corner three specialists, you know, guys who they basically need their feet cemented into the ground, but they can make that shot from the corner. They have not realized that running fairly slowly along the baseline that works like that, that. That really confuses defenses. And it's funny that like we used to talk about, man, look at JJ Redick flying around screens and all of the, the trouble that gives a defense. And, and that's true. It, it did. Uh, you know what else gives the defense a little trouble? Danny Green running like two miles an hour along the baseline <laughs> from corner to corner. And he gets open a couple times a game on it. Yeah. The, JJ causes trouble because so many people pay attention to him flying off those screens Danny just kind of gets lost, um, and that results in an open shot. Not, maybe not quite as much gravity as JJ does, nope. but it is it is it is different for sure. Um, both are beneficial. You would take a prime JJ and a current Danny um, any day of the week. He, he's been honestly, he's been better than I expected. What, and yeah, you know, you definitely. go back to our preseason expectations or preseason predictions. The prediction was Danny Green's going to frustrate a lot of people, but he's actually helping you. Um, well, he I think that was true for like the first third of the season. Uh, but since then, he's been just, I think, universally liked um, because his defense is good. He gets back in transition. He makes smart cuts. He gets open. His, I think his, he's, he was very recently leading the league in corner threes. I think it's the highest percentage of his shots are coming from the corner of his career, which, yeah, okay, he plays with Joe and Ben, and they get him open corner threes. But also, it's not like he was playing with slot before. He played with you know a couple decent players prior in his career actually um, maybe, so maybe it was him have you have you watched that team lately maybe, maybe. that's true that's true um but he, he he's just become so smart at finding a way to get open in the corner uh and he has maximized his uh his yeah i think you said it the other day or wrote it he has a limited skill set a narrow skill set but he is like borderline like best in the league for his skill set at those specific things and he's been real good he uh he also made Hollinger's all underrated team today. He was the number six most underrated player in the league. And, you know, I think Hollinger actually has reason to put that down because I think at the time 
of the Lakers Oklahoma City trade, he was thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, Schroeder gives them a little bit more juice off the bounce, but Danny Green's a lot better on defense. Danny Green's a better shooter. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that's somebody you want to attach a first to. And he, uh, yeah, I mean, for him to be kind of a throw-in in the Al Horford trade salary matching, he's been. Yeah. You're right. Like he he has not been. He was frustrating the first third of the season. I would say ninety percent of that frustration was him getting lit up by. I guess it was Beal and Walker and by players he shouldn't have been defending. If we're being honest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I yeah I don't know why he gets underrated. Maybe it's because he runs like he. Uh, well, he averages single digit points, and you know, yeah. Uh, I I get why if you don't watch him every day, you wouldn't pick up on his value. But and also at the beginning of the year, he his shot was off a little bit too, which was predictable because that happens with shooters. But he's been he's been really good, really good. Uh, let's see, Tyrese Maxey hitting a couple of 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 catch and shoot threes, pretty much from the exact same spot in the second quarter. Great to see. Stepped into him confidently. That's nice to see. Um, looked pretty clean, quite frankly. If he can make that shot, and I, I think for him, the pull-up jumper is going to be a little more important than the catch-and-shoot. Uh, they're both important when you're playing with with Embiid and Simmons, um, but for him to reach his own sort of like individual upside, that pull-up jumper is probably going to be more important. Um, but he made a couple nice... You, you look like you're going to say something. No, go ahead. I, 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 oh. I got some thoughts on Maxi, oh. but... Uh, yeah. I mean... Doc then, of course, when asked about it, Doc complained about the one shot he took later on, which wasn't a good shot. Um, but I will, I will, I will take the too good over the the one not so good because you're trying to project that jumper out. And if he gets that, he can uh, he can be a, a legitimate player in this league. So good to see that as well. When you hear the stories of or, or the comments of, man, Doc coaches his players really hard. I, I don't think we can see that from, especially from the outside. Now that we are sitting you know, in the club box section. Um, and that's all we get. And TV is all we get. The the players that you can see him coach hard, there are two. Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey, where he is screaming at them in the middle of place, where these these two young guards, Doc obviously was a guard um, as a player. Um, and obviously, you know, younger players are easier to yell at unless you are Goga Batadze. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully don't don't say, you know, a little word of wisdom to shake and tire. I will say if 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 one of those two are gonna tell Doc to sit the fuck down, it would definitely be Shake. Yeah. I don't think Tyrese has a personality. I could see Shake having the personality. Yeah, and you know, Maxi What did he tell Joel last year? He's gonna slap the shit out of him? No, Joel told him he was gonna slap the shit out of him or something like that. I forget what it was. <laughs> and that was against the Pacers, which I mean there's just yeah. bad juju running around that team. Just, <laughs> that's why Dan Burke wanted to get out of there. <laughs> the uh yeah, Maxi. I think you know he's obviously not going to be in the playoff rotation. Although Doc did give him the, we have twelve players who we are comfortable playing in the playoffs. I think that certainly includes Tyrese Maxi, even though he's not in the the normal rotation. If everybody's healthy right now, even in the regular season, he's he's played well enough over the past couple of weeks where you can get a little bit excited about what he could do. Yeah. In the uh, in the future, and that's good to see because he was, you know, he, he's had the typical rookie season where he shows some flashes to start. Middle of the season when he was getting time, it was like, ah, there's a lot of rookie mistakes going on here. Shots not going in. I also thought, uh, I think Doc broke out the line after last night's game. He's a better shooter than his numbers, and I, I'm just that's exactly what Daryl Morey said after they drafted him. We think he's a better shooter than his numbers. That's great. He might be, and those 
catch and shoots looked very good. They looked good in the uh, in one of those games against Milwaukee too. Um, I, I just hope it's not five years down the line when he's a backup and he's shooting twenty seven percent. He's a better shooter in his number. At some point, the numbers have to uh, actually you know yeah. catch up. Sometimes they do. You know, I think to like Kyle Lowry, that took a little while for him to become a high thirty shooter, and he he did become that. But for Tyrese, that's a big deal. And also, if there is a seven man team playing against a contender at full strength, doesn't matter what side he's on. Tyrese Maxey is going to bring it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so your your point to the numbers, 29% in college, 27% so far this year. Under 100% or under 100 attempts here in um, in the NBA. Um, I'm looking it up right now. He was at uh, 113 attempts in college. So the sample is low enough where, you know, he's a better shooter than his numbers indicate. There could be some validity to that. There's certainly, certainly you hope there's some validity to, he will be a better shooter than he currently is. And his current numbers are, um, but the numbers right now aren't high enough to really put too much stock into it. That being said, two straight years in the twenties is not super encouraging. I think the form is workable and the touch, you know, a couple of those looked natural lately, uh, which is great to see at some point you do want the numbers to jump back up though. Um, for sure. And he's, he's young enough. Like what is, what is Tyrese Maxey right now? 2020 20 yeah he's he's young enough to call 24 year old matisse Thybul ancient you know after the game <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um boy that makes me feel fucking old as hell uh yeah me too no, he's 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 super young i think the jump shot is not completely broken but it does uh it does still need some work um, but it's it's good to see the ball go in uh, yeah all right um shake getting back on track a little bit um it's important i think over his last Seven games, he was averaging, I think, about nine and a half points in 17 minutes off the bench. Uh, so his, his minutes are down, but his numbers, I think, are shooting like 45, 46% from the field, over 50% from three over that stretch, not making quite as many mistakes. So getting him back on track, and look, this is part of the, um, actually, um, I, over the last six games, I have the numbers now, 11.3 points in 17.6 minutes, 46.3% from the field, and 53.3% from three. Now, this runs into the problem of, well, is he succeeding because Ben Simmons is back, which put George Hill back into that backup role, which took a little bit of pressure off of Shake. Is is that why he is finding success? Or is he succeeding because these are fucking crap competition he's going up against? Tough to say. We won't really be able to say until the playoffs get around. Uh, so that that is part of the evaluation. It would have been great to see him in his new role against legitimate competition. But that is not the schedule the Sixers have in front of them. That being said, at the very least, even if he is just beating up on weak competition, I think it's probably a, c- a combination of both George Hill pushing him back to a more natural role and also these are comp- G League competition that he would uh, feast against typically. I think it's a combination. But even if it is just a um, weak competition, at least it gets him a little bit of confidence going into the playoff run because he will be in the rotation. He should be in the rotation. They need his skill set, so they need him to be playing at the top of his game. Shake heard the cork buzz. The court playoff rotation buzz, and and he heard his his name being thrown as as the sacrificial lamb in that discussion, and uh, he decided to start making some shots. Which, hey man, that's wise. I think that's uh, that's the right way to go we, about it. We are a pro making shot podcast for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I don't think uh, I don't want to I don't want to make this a an hour long podcast against games that admittedly don't really matter all that much. So, um, anything else you uh, you think is relevant to bring up? 
No, I think the Sixers are going to be the one seed. That's uh, it's been yeah. it's been a good week and a half in terms of that. I would say. Yeah, when we uh, when when we looked at it, and we said, well, if they can go, what nine and three was, I think what we were aiming for. Well, we we completely oversold the competition they were going up against. They are in a perfect spot. Um, I mean, we we talked in our last pod, our mailbag pod, about the optimal outcome, and that would have been Brooklyn. Um, uh, losing both of those games to Milwaukee that, that ended up happening. <laughs> the Sixers are in a, a a perfect spot here to close this out. They are in our. They could go five and one and still get fifty wins in a seventy-two game season, yeah, which is that would pretty damn good. That would be fifty wins in three of the last four years, uh, despite the fact that two of the seasons were cut short. Yeah. Um, that would be uh, the. Uh, there's only been four fifty-win seasons since nineteen ninety. Three of them would have come. From this squad, uh, they've only finished in the top four in the Eastern Conference. I think it is now five times since 1990. Three of them have come during the Embiid and Simmons era. Uh, it's almost like the process was a wise thing to do. And on that note, our weekend podcast will be a discussion of the process and tanking with Jake Fisher. So be on the lookout for that old old Liberty Ballers colleague and friend, Jake Fisher, so be on the lookout for that, uh, which is perfect, perfect timing, because I'm not sure I can pretend that some of these games matter much longer. So, Rich, thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.